Hello, everyone. My name is Julia Ferrioli. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am based in Seattle, Washington. I'm recording this for Open Source Stories, um, and I will pass it off to Amanda to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Amanda Caseri. Uh, I am speaking with um, Julia and Nick today, um, and I'm recording this conversation for Open Source Stories from Northern uh, Vermont in New England, USA. And it's still nice and snowy out here. And Nick, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi folks, I'm Nick Steenhout. I'm an independent accessibility consultant. I have been working in the field of accessibility in one way or another since the mid-1990s. And I have doing, been doing a fair bit of work around accessibility and open source since the early 2000s. Awesome. Well, welcome and thank you for, for joining us. Uh, so as we get started, we, we tend to um, do a little bit of background about, you know, fun trivia or, um, just some interesting tidbits about ourselves and our experiences. Um, and I am wondering, let's see, what should we, what should we do today? Um, when, so I know Nick that you host a, a podcast mm -hmm. um, and I actually learned a bunch of from you, although right now you wouldn't know it because um, I'm very bumbling. Um, how did you first get into podcasting? I have known so many people in the field of accessibility over the years. And in 2017, it occurred to me that a lot of the personal stories, a lot of the anecdotes around all these accessibility experts was actually not being told. And I had a big interest in that. So I just started having conversations with different people. Obviously, at first, people I knew well and, and just digging into that. And then I thought it would be good to record these for posterity to make sure that we have this body of knowledge. And that really was the basis of my, my first series of podcasts, the Accessibility Rules podcast, the, the long form. And it quickly morphed into not just a conversation about people's experience, but also about different aspects of digital accessibility, whether I was speaking to disabled experts or to people that had been interested in the field for, for years. I kind of changed tack with the podcast and now I I focus on interviewing disabled people to to create sound bites you know five to ten minute shows that are punched with good information about accessibility that most designers and developers would not necessarily be aware of so it's really talking about accessibility in the words of disabled people which is really powerful absolutely well, thank you. Um, and we will put a link, I believe, in your bio to your podcast as well. Uh, so I'd love to explore your background with, with open source. Um, you had mentioned that you've been, you had been involved in open source um, 
starting like 20 years ago, right? Yeah, um, just about, yeah. How, how did you first get involved? I'll take a step back from there. I sure. started being interested in building the web back in the early 90s. I, I remember downloading Mosaic, the, the first graphical web browser. So that, that was a, a big aha moment. And at the same time, I started talking to different disabled people. One of them was a friend who was blind, and he came to me and he says, hey, Nick, how come my screen reader is saying image, 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 image. And this was at a time where we didn't have CSS. Yeah, I'm that old. And a lot of designers to use cool fonts would do um, images of text in Photoshop. And that was the image that was being put, but nobody was putting alt text on these images. So folks that relied on screen reader had no real access to that. So that for me was a, my first big aha moment around web accessibility. Then I had a colleague who was deaf and she came to me because she got a brand new printer and the instructions to, uh, to install it and make it work and, and set it all up were all on the DVD videos with no actual captions. So that was like within a month of the first thing. And I kind of went, oh, that makes sense. And the third part that really got me enthused about accessibility was around uh, a friend who had ADHD. And she had a lot of difficulty around large fonts and flashy backgrounds and different colors and all that. So basically, we created a custom uh, style sheet for her before you know, before the CSS reset was was a thing. So between those three things, I became really interested in accessibility as it relates to the web. And this is important because I was also interested in building the web and I was interested in using a content management system, a CMS. And this is how I come to use Mambo. Uh, some of the audience may remember Mambo CMS, one of the first big CMS out there. And I made a pest of myself on the Mambo community forums. I kept asking about making this feature accessible or about implementing that aspect of accessibility. And I was really, really active on the forum, helping people answering questions. And um, the core team of Mambo for a variety of reasons actually all walked out. Uh, just as a group, they split Mambo, left Mambo in the dust and created Joomla. So, about a week after Joomla was created, uh, the lead developer of Joomla reached out to me and he said, hey, Nick, you, you've been really active in the forums. You're really um, providing good information about accessibility. Do you want to join the core team? And so began my uh, formal venture into open source. Uh, before that, I had been active uh, active user of open source. And after that, I became an active developer uh, with Joomla and then a series of other um, projects over the years. So at that at that point, um, was 
was Joomla an open source project or was it still in the planning stages? Oh, it was an open source project. Basically what happened is they took the entire code base of Mambo and made that as their very first version. Uh, so basically for the first year, year and a half, you could look at the code base of Joomla and Mambo and it was the same thing. It was forked and, and there was some changes uh, through that. Uh, it took a while for the name Joomla to come through for the branding and all that. It just was reaction to stuff that was happening within Mambo. They just walked out and created it. Was there anything surprising to you when you moved from being someone who was active on the forums to being a core team member? My experience is maybe not typical of, of other people because my area of expertise really is a fairly niche area and it's accessibility. So I didn't, you know, I didn't have responsibility for writing hundreds of lines of codes or, or doing that kind of things. My biggest surprise, I think, had a lot to do with the dynamics of the project at the time. And it was for me disappointing that I was hearing a lot of support, verbal support for accessibility, but in reality within that project at that time, uh, a lot of my efforts were negated by what was going on. Uh, in fact, it's why after a couple of years of being involved with Joomla, I walked out because everything I was pushing from completely rewriting the original Mambo code base to be producing accessible content to providing proof of concept and ideas as to how do we make our own code base, the, the new stuff that we're building from the ground up that's going to be really nice and shiny, how to make that work. And the decision in the end was, well, we're going to let third-party plugins handle accessibility, which to me defeated the entire purpose. And I kind of thought, why did I spend nearly 40 hours a week on top of my paid job every week trying to make this work? So that was my relatively disappointing experience with my first big core development uh, experience in, in open source. That's terribly demotivating. Yeah. 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 Now at that, at that point in time, um, were there, were there a number of people in the open source community or in the, the web community talking about the issues with um, these platforms and accessibility? Yeah, there, there was more and more um, awareness around accessibility. Um, in, uh, when was it? Uh, a lot of awareness came from the web accessibility guidelines, the, the first version of the guidelines that came out. So that, that really was all around that. And it was a really active, changing, dynamic world in terms of accessibility because we had, we had the first version of WCAG that came out. We had also the uh, 
authoring tools accessibility guidelines, a tag that was active. So obviously, when you're looking at a CMS, you want to be able to have an accessible platform. So we were looking at the accessibility of the backend. Um, Drupal at the time was getting really, um, there was a lot of push from people internally to become more accessible. And they've since done a pretty darn good job around that. Uh, so th there was a lot of movement uh, around accessibility. It was also a time where more and more um, countries were starting to say, well, you know, if, if you're going to sell to us as a government, what you're selling to us must be accessible. So there, there was the, this, on the one side, more awareness from the developing platform, and on the other side, more requirement from the, the end user, from the end client. Regulation does have um, a great deal of power to yeah. to drive technology decisions. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to give you a carrot. If you make it accessible, I'm going to give you money. And here's the stick. If you don't make it accessible, you're going to get sued. It's, it's amazing how it works. It still does yep. <laughs> to some extent, I guess. So. so I'd love to explore your experience as as a contributor especially in the in the area of accessibility have you seen um have you had any experiences with projects that you think have have um taken the feedback and taken the input and really taken it to heart few and f few project have done that um, and to be honest I can't think of any specific project that pops to mind oh yeah these people have done such a great job um, probably Drupal is is one of them uh, because some people like Mike Gifford and Carrie Fisher uh, have been really 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 active um, unfortunately and that might just be somewhat demoralizing and depressing, but the ones that really stick to minds, mind are uh, where there's been a lot of effort and a lot of involvement from the community, uh, and then in the end, the project did not actually integrate that that uh, information. Uh, one big, big sore thumb that sticks out is WordPress where uh, we had people like uh, Rian Ritveld who was so involved with making everything accessible and she ended up having to walk out of the project because she was not taken seriously and and did the whole um, Gutenberg editor where it was pushed even though the community was saying hey this is not accessible this is not going to work uh, it was pushed through and then a, a community organization uh, around WordPress, but not WordPress itself, um, commissioned an audit and you know, it ended up being 300 pages worth of accessibility issues around that. And things didn't change. And before that, I, I know someone who had been involved with accessibility and she had submitted bugs and patches. So here's the problem, here's how you fix it. 
And the tickets were open for three, four, five, six years untouched and then closed because look at that, the code base has changed so much that we can't use this patch, but the problem still existed. So this is kind of the, the systemic problem around open source and accessibility that that I think is, is a big problem. The other part, and I may be jumping all over the place, but the other thing that, that comes to mind as was a discussion I had earlier today is a lot of open source project will have the community vote on important features to implement and they put accessibility as part of the features they want to see if there's an interest for and because most users of a platform don't have real awareness of the importance of accessibility they don't vote that up so the project never becomes accessible and and i would like to ask this question would you put security as a feature to be voted on would you put performance as a feature to be voted on you probably wouldn't and by that same token why do we put accessibility as a feature that has to be voted on from a, a popularity contest perspective? I, I think that as a former product manager, I, I love the phrasing that you use for that because in my mind, um, security and accessibility are expectations and not features. Yes. So when you, when you think about the bar that you set as what is it that we bring when we when we bring forward a release it feels like expectations are not always set appropriately right as to what what actually constitutes an acceptable piece of software to put out uh, accessibility is not a feature a lot of accessibility is a bug really mm -hmm. yeah i have i have often seen it positioned as um a core requirement because language is so powerful, feature does sound to to your to both of your points optional, yeah. um, instead of foundational. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. for, for projects that work in uh, agile environment, I always say you know make accessibility part of your definition of done. Just do that, and suddenly right there your your project is going to become more accessible because you won't have a choice it's part of your process build it into your systems um, I, I would love to so on that on that line of um because julie and i talk a lot about social systems and socio-technical systems and processes and I'm, I'm super curious i know it's you know it's hard to name okay here's an ideal project who would say who's done this well but I'm, I'm wondering, Nick, is there any um, like social norms or cultural expectations that people have of each other in the communities where you do see this prioritized, where you do see accessibility as part of responsible software and open source practices? I evolved these days a lot more in the accessibility community than the open source community in part because I've been so burned out by open source seeing accessibility as a feature that maybe we will consider implementing, but we'll leave it to third-party plugins. Uh, that said, within the accessibility community, there's a lot of 
really good projects, a lot of effort. Uh, you know, one sticks to mind is the accessibility project, A11Y project, who really integrates inclusion and accessibility from the ground up. Uh, they they approach things with this this um, this concept of nothing about us without us. So they involve disabled people at all stages. Uh, the design uh, was the, of the new website a couple years ago was done by someone with disability. Uh, they incorporate a lot of disability-related information throughout the whole project, from from design to implementation to to QA testing to to the material they are talking about. So th this this idea of including disabled folks, I think, is really key to to making a culture of inclusion. Um, as a side note, so many times we talk about DEI, you know, it's diversity, equity, inclusion. And for some reason, so many DEI experts don't understand accessibility, don't know accessibility. And, and when we're working on making open source project more inclusive, we really have to remember, let's include disabled folks. It seems common sense, but for many people, it, it, it's not. Uh, I can't kind of agree with that enough. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to go back to your point about, about burnout. Um, it seems as though the fighting for inclusion um, and prioritization is a sure recipe for for burnout. Um, mm. Do you see that um, accessibility advocates tend to be at higher risk of, of burnout because of that that attitude that we see so prevalent in in technology and open source. There's a lot of discussion about burnout in the uh, accessibility field. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people do have this burnout, uh, in part because we tend to be so passionate about it we care about people and we care about inclusion and when we see an injustice we kind of you know tilt at windmills sometimes uh, in part is because you end up having the same discussions the same arguments the same on and on and on and on uh, just today on twitter uh, a game announced that they had included uh, American Sign Language and British Sign Language in cinematic uh, cutscenes, uh, or Forza 5 it was. And some people were all happy about it. I was happy about it. But there were a lot of people that were saying, well, this is a racing game. It's not a game for the deaf. Why, why did you spend time, energy, and resources in implementing this thing instead of giving us more cars, more cars to choose from, more options. And when you started saying, well, you know, you have over 300 choices of cars in this game already, 
maybe maybe you should realize that the people that are building new cars are not the same people that are implementing the uh, ASL feature and what's it to you what have you lost what have you lost from a lack of accessibility so this this kind of conversation seems to happen a lot all over the the field whether it's you know commercial gaming or open source and once when you have to have that discussion over and over again and you're really passionate about it it's easy to go to burnout um, I think certainly for me I stepped away from being so involved with open source I'm still involved I still advise people I still do a lot of talks at open source conference PHP conferences Linux conf uh, you know Python but I've taken a step back I, I focus a lot more on me and while I might actually have a discussion and try to engage people if, if they don't I step back Yeah, I'm. Can I ask a follow-on question of that, Nick? So, based on the the um, like how long you've been spending and the way that um, those discussion forums have changed over time, are you finding that as we have you know many discussions in social media, like maybe there used to be focused mailing lists, some people found them, other people didn't. Mm. Has there been any changes in how people approach or discuss concerns? when they have conflicting opinions based on the kinds of platforms where we're having discussions now? When I think back to the Mambo forums, we had moderators, forum moderators, and I think that was a big part of, of keeping things moving. Now, to, to be fair, there were, it was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, a lot of the, the women contributors were getting really nasty stuff thrown at them in DMs where the moderators just kind of shrugged. Uh, so in some respect, even forums were toxic, but I think they were not as toxic as social media like Twitter and, and even Mastodon, Facebook, these, these places who on the surface have some um, have some moderation but in reality it's it's not really great uh, it's also increased the speed of communication so people tend to be a lot more reactive uh, than uh, than they were during forums or mailing lists now you know, I've seen a few flame threads on, on forums and mailing lists as well but it seems to it seems to have been a little bit more paced than the the speed of of social media and then of course there's the aspect that social media you're exposed to millions of people that can drop into the conversation whether they have any backgrounds or not so that that makes it a little bit more difficult on the other hand uh, social media today exposes us to a lot more like-minded people if you follow the hashtag uh, a11y you will be able to find a whole bunch of people that that are like-minded share the same kind of information the same enthusiasm for sharing their knowledge so it's and you know there's there's pros and cons for for both communication yeah i think it's a um 
it's always a, an interesting question of how do we give tools to people to prevent them from burning out while still giving space for many voices to be present and to be able to have space for themselves. Yeah. On the tools front, um, one a, a big topic of conversation in the world of, of open source these days is, is tool choice. Um, and, you know, given platforms like uh, Slack and, uh, you know, some of the social media platforms that, that you mentioned, uh, as well as the various proliferation of, you know, bug tracking uh, platforms that we have available to us. Do you see the, the kind of um, the sheer variety of, of options available to, to, to open source projects um, as, a, as a barrier to getting more disabled voices involved, to getting more um, accessibility experts involved in contributing to some of the, the open source projects. Is that a concern? Well, yes and no. It, it's a concern because any time you have fragmented um, resources, then you're going to get fragmented participation. Uh, it's almost as if you're creating silos. Uh, and it comes down to projects a, having the awareness about accessibility and wanting to include people with disabilities and be where do we find these people so how how do we get the tools that that are accessible um i, I would say that the big big platforms are mostly accessible slack slack is not perfect but it's mostly accessible it's it's usable uh twitter is usable uh, Teams is usable, uh, and there's you know Zoom is usable. I, I, I was saying earlier today, Zoom is not the most accessible video platform out there. Video call platform is the least inaccessible video call platform. Uh, so, relying on these big names that are um, not too bad from an accessibility perspective, even if they're not perfect is going to allow participation, but you still need to find people that are going to be interested in participating in that. And, and I think that project that have an interest in that happening also have to do some homework to prove themselves that they're not going to be toxic to the disabled people they're asking to come on board, because that's one thing that a lot of disabled folks are hesitant about is, if I get involved with this, what you know, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be just talking to the void or what? I think we find um, that saying of, uh, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Uh, it kind of sounds like, like that. You haven't done the work to, to, to bring people in and, and yeah. show that you're worth their time. Um, and, and making sure that you are going to live up to what you're saying and yeah. your promises is, is huge. It's, it's really important to not just do the, you know, the performative lip service thing, just 
back up your your words with actual actions show me show me that if i spend my time on your project if i share my expertise that i've built over the last quarter of a century that i could actually go into the commercial world and make good money for my one hour or two hour or three hour i'm giving your project for free show me that i'm not just throwing my time energy and money away if you were to want to get more actively involved in open source again how would a project demonstrate their commitment to accessibility to you first they would do their homework and go learn about html and css and area and start implementing that don't take the latest greatest framework out of the box and implement it as is you can make react accessible you can make angular accessible but if you use it out of the box it's not going to happen and don't tell me oh i don't know about this because there's so much good information on the web and we all work on the web we're all able to use a search engine so do that homework do start implementing things once you demonstrate to me that you've started working and and making at least some effort for your your project to have accessible output that's going to be a lot more pleasant then talk to me about how you're including people you know do you have a code of conduct what what is included in that if you have one do you mention diversity yeah okay do you mention disabilities so you have to do these things and demonstrate it but that that's you not know, really a start i think those are that's some really good advice for for all the open source projects out there looking to to get more accessibility experts in so thank you well it, it also sounds like there's not a lack of um, beginner and introductory information. So there's not a lack of basic minimum information from very reputable sources to get started. Those are easily findable for your point and, and accessible as documentation for folks to know and to educate themselves on where to start. The, the first point, if anyone really is interested in learning, go to the W3C's website, the Web Accessibility Initiative website, w3.org forward slash WAI. Um, there's so much information there to get you started from information about you know, accessibility for designers, for developers, for project manager, uh, easy checks, testing, uh, tutorials. It's, it's full of information. No, I've been part of the working groups that built that website that did the, the redesign. We we care about accessibility enough that we want to make sure people learn about accessibility. So go and use that resource. I think it's on the open source projects to prove they're they're worthy of um, of more time and expertise. And uh, thank you so much for for sharing your experiences and and um, advice. Thank you. I, I would like to just drop one bit of trivia there for open source developers and, and managers that are listening to this. According to the uh, US CDC, 
some data from 2017 came out in 2018 there is over 26 percent of people in the united states that have a disability in one shape or another these may not be visible disabilities but when you start thinking about one quarter of the population has a disability you know if you say oh we don't have any disabled people using our product well you don't know that and odds are they're wrong yep <laughs> And the other thing is, like my mechanic, when I was in Chicago, you know, I went to see him and he said, Nick, you keep telling me put in a ramp, put in a ramp. Why should I put in a ramp? Because I don't have any wheelchair users coming to my uh, office. And I say, Joe, why do you think that is? Took a moment. And then the penny dropped. He went, oh, they can't come in. Well, uh, yeah. Right. Very well-known bias in data circles as to who shows up and who is counted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again for uh, coming on Open Source Stories and sharing your open source story with us. And well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Nick.